Well, as we think about this Christmas season and we think about giving and we think about generosity during this season, our hearts think about our people here at Calvary. We're so grateful for your generosity uh, throughout the year, throughout the years, how generous you've been to fuel the ministry here at Calvary in this community and around the world. We've been talking for the last several weeks now about our Christmas offering. Our Christmas offering is a huge part of our annual offering revenue every year. It's about 25% of what we bring in in a year to use to fuel ministry and to give to ministries around the world. Well, we have a goal this year in our Christmas offering of about $2.1 million. That's a $1.6 million general fund goal, as well as about a $500,000 goal for our Generations Project. And as a matter of fact, that Generations Project, the Special Abilities Ministry Wing is being completed and built out as we speak. And once we complete that piece and that wonderful ministry tool is in place in the next several weeks, actually, we're going to hit a hard pause on our generations plan just to see where things go and what God would have us do. But we're so grateful for you and your generosity and your giving thus far in the month of December. I am pleased to report to you that we've received over $830,000 toward this Christmas offering so far. Praise God and thank you so much for your giving and your generosity. You can see that visually, we've kind of shown this to you the last couple weeks or this week and last week, uh, that we're about 40% of the way. And uh, what a wonderful start to this Christmas offering. And uh, we'll continue to report to you the, uh, the goal and how we are doing each week. And we also want to point out to you the ways to give. Uh, our ways to give are, are what they normally are and a little bit different now in, in the midst of this pandemic. We do have boxes in other locations around campus. So if you're here on campus for our weekend services, uh, you can place your offering in there. You can give online. You can go to the Calvary Westlake app and give. That's perhaps the best and easiest way to give digitally. Uh, you can call the office if you have any questions about maybe even giving stocks and securities and other things. You can call Rick Fusilier or myself here at the office. Uh, of course, you can mail things to us. And uh, for just tax purposes, of course, you want to have those postmarked by the 31st, the end of the month, the end of the year. Well, thank you again for your generosity. We are so pleased to see how God is blessing us through you this Christmas season. I want to also just give you an update on Pastor Sean. If you were here with us in the last couple weekends, uh, you may have uh, heard Sean talk a little bit about he's been struggling with bronchitis for about four to six weeks now. And uh, this week, it took a little bit of a turn for the worse. In fact, developed into pneumonia. And uh, he actually had to be admitted in the hospital. And he's been in the hospital now for a few days. It's not COVID-related. Uh, it's actually a bacterial infection. Pleased to report he's making marked improvement. And he's actually going to be released from the hospital this weekend. We expect that to happen. And he's going to be recuperating for some weeks. Uh, in fact, uh, Brian's going to be filling in for a couple weeks just to let him finally kind of knock this thing out and recuperate. But we appreciate, and I'm sure he appreciates your prayers, and uh, we're happy to report he will be discharged this weekend and he's recovering well. Well, it's Christmas, and we're excited to report to you that we are gonna be having some Christmas Eve services, and they're gonna be happening in a very special way, and we're so happy to let you see this video to talk all about it. Hi, Calvary family. I'm Brian Howard, teaching pastor here at Calvary Community Church. And I wanna let you know about some important and exciting information about our Christmas Eve services. On Thursday, December 24th, you and your family will have three options on how you can join us for our celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. First, you can watch all of our services online with your family from the comfort of your home. We'll be broadcasting our services at 1 p.m., 3 p.m., 5 p.m., and 7 p.m. on YouTube, Facebook, Church Online, and the Calvary app. We know that for many of you, this has been a fruitful way of safely engaging with your church family over the course of the last year, and we as a church are committed to continuing to provide online church services that bless your family and encourage your faith. Second, you can join us on campus outside for worship at 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. We know that many of you are more comfortable worshiping outside during this season, and I look forward to gathering with you for those two services on our outdoor patio venue. As a third and final option, 
we are opening our worship center for two indoor, in-person gatherings at 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. If you join us inside, you can expect to experience the traditional Christmas Eve services that all of us have been blessed by in years past. For the four on-campus services, you can pre-register on our website and reserve a spot for your family to join us that day. We know not everyone is able to join us in person at this time, but for those of you who are planning on coming onto our campus, here's what you can expect. Hello, we look forward to having you join us. To make your on-campus visit safe for all, we have a few guidelines for you to follow that you'll see throughout your visit. You can love others by wearing a mask and maintaining the suggested social distancing guidelines with anyone not in your household. We will have plenty of extra masks on hand as well as hand sanitizer throughout the building if you need some. Obviously, if you are feeling sick or have been exposed to someone who is sick, we kindly ask that you stay home and worship with us online. Our team will greet you at every entrance and direct you where you should go. All designated entry doors will be open, so you won't need to touch any services. As you enter the worship center, we will have limited seating available. We encourage everyone to practice social distancing within the open rows and the designated seating of the worship center. And remember to only sit with people in your household. For those of you joining us outside, you will find plenty of seats throughout our shaded patio, and you are welcome to move the chairs to accommodate those in your household. There will be no ties and offering baskets passed during services. We are encouraging everyone to continue to give online at calvarywestlake.org give, the Calvary app, or the giving kiosk. For those of you with physical gifts, there are offering boxes at the doors and throughout the building for you to drop off your tithes and offerings. For those of you with young children, many of our ministries to children and students are beginning to regather, and you can find the most up-to-date information on each ministry at calvarywestlake.org. This Christmas, we invite all of you to worship as a family as our early childhood, elementary, and student ministries will not be gathering on Christmas Eve. We are doing everything we can to make this a safe experience for everyone. We appreciate you helping to do your part to love others while you're at Calvary and while you're out in the community. We believe this will be one of the cleanest facilities in the city. We are so excited to see you on Christmas Eve. If you're not comfortable coming or you're unable to come for health reasons, we completely understand and we support your decision. And we look forward to you joining us online at 1 p.m., 3 p.m., 5 p.m., or 7 p.m. Calvary, this has been an unbelievably difficult year for all of us, and there have been plenty of reasons to grieve. But this Christmas, I wanna remind us that as followers of Jesus, we are not a people who grieve without hope. The story of Jesus' birth is the story of light shining in the darkness and hope bursting into a weary world. So as we move forward, may we be a church family that deeply believes and boldly declares these three words this Christmas. Hope is here. I hope that video gave you some clarity on what we're gonna be doing this Christmas Eve. And if the video kind of shares what we're doing this Christmas Eve, I wanna take a moment to talk about why we're approaching Christmas Eve this way as a church. Since the beginning of the pandemic, our leadership here at Calvary um, has been guided by some principles, and these principles haven't changed over the course of the last year. These are principles that are rooted in scripture and rooting of our understanding of how we as a church are meant to live and love like Jesus in the context of our world. And so I wanna walk you through those principles and remind you of some of the things we have said since the beginning of this year that have guided us in our decision-making as our senior leadership team has navigated the last year and all of the challenges and complications that have come. Here's the first principle, and you've heard it before, it's this, it's that we remain committed to honoring the government authorities as commanded in the Bible. I wanna be clear with you as you listen to this update. I wanna be clear that this is not a moment where we are deciding that we no longer wish to submit to or honor the government. This isn't that we've lost patience and have somehow decided that we no longer want to abide by 1 Peter 2 and Romans 13. We believe these are binding on the conscience and the obedience of a Christian, and that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to obey these scriptures just like all other scriptures. From time to time, people have suggested that we need to choose whether we'll submit to Caesar or Christ, to the government or to Jesus. And our response based on 1 Peter 2 and Romans 13 has been that sometimes for the follower of Jesus, following Jesus requires submitting to the governing authorities, not just the governing authorities we like, 
not just the ones we agree with, not just when we think they're operating the way we think they should operate. So this has been in place since the beginning and has been a guiding light for us that we are going to be obedient to the commands of God in scripture, even when we disagree and even when we lose patience. So knowing that we as a church are going to be moving forward with online services, outdoor services, and indoor services, some of you might ask, so why the change? And here's the change. The second thing I wanna to share today is this, that we understand that recent court decisions and government language acknowledge our freedom to worship and give us some latitude on how we can gather. See, part of the complication of 1 Peter 2 and Romans 13 is learning how it applies in our context. In our context, we have local governments, we have state governments, and we have a national federal government. And then within each of those, those governments, we have a, an executive branch, we have a legislative branch, and we have a judicial branch. And, and throughout the course of the pandemic, we've been watching how all of those things interplay with one another and how all of those things ha have given us um, guidelines on how we can move forward as a church, still trying to be obedient to 1 Peter 2 and Romans 13. But here's what we've seen recently. We've seen movement in the area of the judicial branch, in the area of the federal courts. Recent court rulings have given guidance to local and state authorities and have been signaling to them on how they can proceed even in the midst of a pandemic that we're taking very, very seriously. It has acknowledged, as we'll say here, acknowledged our rights to worship and given us what we believe is some latitude to move forward in how we gather as a church. And so here's how we as a senior leadership have interpreted these recent rulings as it relates to how we operate as a church. What we've interpreted is that these rulings have acknowledged, in fact, our right to worship, have acknowledged that we have a right as a church to worship and that that would not be infringed. And yet we also believe this, that it has given us some latitude. And those two words are important right now, some latitude. Latitude means we have the capacity to gather in different ways that we as a church leadership assess would be safe and healthy for our people. But we also believe it's some latitude. So that what you're not hearing us say today is that we're going back to business as usual, that we're abandoning all health protocols. We believe we've been given some latitude in this season to move forward and to gather given recent court decisions. The third thing I wanna to say to you is this that we are committed to the health and safety of our congregation and our community, and will therefore be practicing social distancing, wearing masks, staying home at sick, and limited capacity when indoors. I wanna be extraordinarily clear with you. I don't want the fact that we're doing online services, outdoor services, and indoor services to indicate to anyone that our church leadership doesn't take this pandemic seriously. I don't want it to indicate to you that we think the pandemic is over or that it's no longer important for us to take health and safety seriously. We are gonna to continue to do that by asking folks who are here on campus, whether outside or inside, to wear masks, to socially distance from those who are not within their household. If they're feeling sick, we're gonna ask them to stay home. And if they're part of a high risk category that would put them at risk for this disease more than others, we would ask you to self-assess that and stay home and join us for our online church services. And then finally, for those who do choose to join us inside, we have a 3, 000, uh, an auditorium here that can seat over 3,000 people, but we're going to be limiting our capacity here inside to create as much social distancing, as much space as possible, so that we can continue to care for the health and well-being, not only of those who attend Calvary, but for the community as a whole. The fourth thing I wanna to say to you is this, that we will continue to assess and make changes based on the evolving nature of the pandemic. We have done this all the way through the pandemic from the season where we were online only to the season where we were outside only. We have made changes along the way. And if we need to dial something back or if we need to move forward in a new area or in a new ministry, we will make those decisions as we go. Our elders and our senior leadership here will work together to make decisions for the health and safety of our church and also fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given to us. And here's the fifth and final principle I wanna lay before you today. And this is the one I get most excited about and the one I want you to hear most clearly. That we will continue to keep the focus of our church on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. 
I wanna be clear with you and I want you to hear this today, that whether you join us online, outside or inside, we do not gather as a political statement. We do not gather as a protest. We do not gather as a proclamation of our rights as Americans. No, we gather for one reason and one reason alone. And that is to declare the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things. For 44 years, Calvary has been a church that has made much of Jesus Christ. And we are gonna continue to do that now and into the future. Our mission statement here at Calvary is simple. It's to make disciples who live and love like Jesus Christ. And so whether you join us online, outside or inside for church services, you're gonna hear the teaching of the word of God. You're gonna hear us respond to God's grace and mercy to us in heartfelt praise and worship. And you're gonna leave challenged to live in love like Jesus more than ever before. I wanna be clear with you today that for Calvary, it has always been about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And it will always be about Jesus. That's our commitment to you as a senior leadership going forward, that these principles will continue to guide us as we move forward, as they are thoughtful and careful and protecting the health and safety and well-being of our church and community, as well as fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given us and gathering in whatever way is safest and whatever way is most comfortable for your family, whether it's online, outside, or inside. So I'm looking forward to Christmas Eve this year. I'm looking forward to the opportunity we have to gather together to exalt the newborn King Jesus. And I wanna ask you to stop with me and pray right now. Pray that God would bless our Christmas Eve services, that people would look to Jesus. And as Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, that as Jesus is exalted, all people would be drawn to him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I wanna thank you and I wanna thank you for being a good God who has guided us the entire way. In a year that we couldn't have possibly planned for, in a year that we couldn't have possibly known how to navigate, your wisdom, your supernatural wisdom from the Holy Spirit has been upon us. God, I thank you for our elders and our leadership here. I thank you for the individuals who have been guiding us through every difficult decision. And God, I pray as we approach Christmas Eve and beyond, God, I pray that you would give us wisdom as a church, I pray that you would give us humility as a leadership. And God, I pray that you would protect and keep us. But most of all, I pray that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone would be exalted in this place. That every time someone comes into contact with the ministry of Calvary, that they would see Jesus, the exalted King of the universe and the King of our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the exalted one, the resurrected one. Amen. Well, right now I want us to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter two. If you have a Bible with you, we'll be in Matthew chapter two. As we continue our Hope is Here sermon series, we're gonna jump into this scripture and we're gonna look at another story from the Christmas story and with the hopes of encouraging your heart and blessing your faith today as you tune into our weekend broadcast. I wanna begin with a question for all of you. And the question is for those of you listening online right now. Here, here's the question. How is your faith right now? It's a simple question, but I want to be clear what I'm asking and not asking. I'm not asking, are you a Christian? I'm not asking, do you tune in to church? Obviously, you are. I'm actually asking a deeper question. I'm asking the question, how's your faith? How's your confidence in God? How's your sense of God's presence and your willingness to walk in obedience to his word right now? You see, what I've observed over the course of the last year is this, that, that people's faiths have kind of been on a roller coaster ride. When we began the pandemic, I actually observed so many people back in March and April with a faith like they've never had before in their entire lives. That they were confident in God's promises and they were filled with faith and courage. They were reading God's word and praying more than ever. But then I noticed some of those same people who were peaking in about March and April around Easter started to fall off as this year got longer and longer and things got more and more complicated, more and more intense. And for so many Christians right now, I've noticed a weariness, a fatigue. Maybe you felt that yourself. Maybe you felt like you've been struggling in your faith recently. I know I can identify places in my own life where even recently, even this fall, I've just felt a struggle. I felt a disconnect from God. And here's what I wanna talk about this morning. I wanna talk about this truth, this simple statement. I wanna talk about a reality that so many of us need to hold on today. And here's this reality that there is hope for the struggling Christian. 
there is hope for the struggling Christian. If you are a struggling Christian right now and you say, I love Jesus and I want to walk after Jesus, I've just been struggling to do so. I believe this sermon is for you this morning. I believe God's Holy Spirit wants to speak something into your heart today. And if you're not struggling right now, praise God for you. I've never believed that the normal of the Christian life is to always be struggling and never feel like you're walking in confidence and faith and victory. But if that is you right now, can I encourage you to recognize that there might be someone in your household who's struggling right now? Do not be a friend of yours or someone in your small group or someone you're connected with in this world. Maybe even they go to another church and they're struggling right now. Perhaps the Holy Spirit of God wants to speak something to you today, but it's entirely possible that the Holy Spirit of God wants to speak something through you to someone else in your life who's struggling. And perhaps you would absorb this message today that there is hope for the struggling Christian. I want us to see in Matthew chapter two, it begins in verse one. It says this, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. So you hear about these Magi and these Magi are often referred to as the wise men. This comes from the King James Version, and you hear about the wise men. Maybe you've heard about the three kings. It's likely in this story, although it doesn't give us a number, that it's more than three kings. We'll see them give three gifts later of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so in many nativity sets, even the one that's up in my living room right now, there's three of these individuals. But there was likely a lot more of them. They likely weren't um, kings or three kings coming from somewhere. It was likely that they were more like religious priests. So you have these individuals and it says they see this star, like they're reading the stars, which doesn't suggest to Christians that you should read stars as well. It's just describing what's actually happening here. It is a descriptive moment, not a prescriptive moment of how we as Christians should read stars. But, but what happens here is these men, these individuals come to find Jesus. And what I find so interesting about this text isn't necessarily who these individuals are because it doesn't give us a lot of details. It leaves it as a mystery. What I find interesting about this part of the story, that the wise men come to see Jesus, isn't who they are, it's what they decided to do. They heard about Jesus, they were drawn to Jesus. Jesus was being worshiped. They said, we have come to worship him. They went to where Jesus was being worshiped. They knew Jesus was being worshiped, and so they joined in. I think this is instructive for us today right off the bat. For those of us who would call ourselves struggling Christians right now, for those of you who are struggling with your faith and feel disconnected from God, can I tell you the first thing I see in this text here today? It's this, that struggling Christians should join in when Jesus is being worshiped. Struggling Christians should find opportunities where Jesus is being worshiped and they should join in on that worship. And here's what I recognize right off the bat. For some of you, you go, I wish I could but I have a health condition or someone I live with has a health condition and I'm not comfortable coming to church yet. For some of you, you're at that place. And here's what I would say to you. If that's you, I want you to continue to lean in online. This Christmas season, even as we go into the New Year's, don't grow weary, continue to lean in where Jesus is being worshiped. For those of you who are able to come, I encourage you to come to our church services, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. on Sundays. I encourage you to come to our Christmas Eve services where we'll gather together and Jesus will be worshiped. Uh, I think the great initial reminder and challenge for some of us is that sometimes the reason we're struggling in our faith is we've not been joining in with the people of God as they've worshiped God's son, Jesus. And that's the invitation for us to not grow weary just because we've been watching church on TV for nine months, to not bail on it just because it's uncomfortable and we have to wear a mask or social distance. It's to lean in where Jesus is being worshiped. I wanna challenge some of you to do that in the coming weeks and months as we continue forward. It goes on this way in verse three. It says, now, when King Herod heard of this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, I highlighted a word here, and I want you to look at this. It says, King Herod hears about Jesus and hears about the wise men seeing Jesus and hears that there is worship going on of Jesus. And what's his experience? What's his emotion? It says he's disturbed. 
He's disturbed. It bugs him. He is robbed of his peace. You can imagine King Herod laying awake at night, being bothered by this, being anxious about this, being stressed out by this. And I actually think this is an important part of the story that we often skip over. See, we know what Herod will do. If you know the Bible, you know the horrific act that Herod will do in slaughtering so many young babies. And yet I want to identify that what this begins with is Herod being disturbed. And here's why I think Herod is disturbed. Herod is disturbed because Herod has a title. And you can see the title right here. The title is King. But what's being declared in Jesus and what is declared through the Christmas story is that there is a new king on the scene. This king is not the king of just a small area or a small geography. He is the king of the universe. He is the king of all things. And Herod, the king of Judea, King Herod, the king over this small little area, is threatened by the fact that there is another king who has a bigger claim, not only over all of creation, but over Herod's heart. You see in the Bible, there's this great tension between the kings of the world and the king of heaven, between the authority we think we have in this world and the authority God actually has. And whenever we think that God doesn't have authority in some area of our life, whenever we think that God doesn't get to tell me what to do because I'm in charge, whenever we think that we get to be the king of our own life, the Bible has a word for that. The Bible has a word for the times when a King Herod decides he doesn't want King Jesus. When you and I decide we don't want Jesus sitting on the throne of our heart. The word the Bible has for that is the word sin. Sin is us deciding that we are king of our lives. We do not need God. We are okay without him. We exchange God for our own authority and our own reign over our own lives. And do you wanna know why King Herod, as a king, who doesn't want this other king to come in, who doesn't want this other king to step onto the scene, do you know why he is so disturbed? Herod is disturbed for the same reason you and I are disturbed when we decide to be king of our own lives. It's because of this principle. It's because persistent sin destroys peace. When you decide that you are king of your life and Jesus doesn't get to tell you what to do, Jesus doesn't get to step in, Jesus doesn't get to change your behavior, Jesus isn't king of my life, I'm in charge and no one tells me what to do. When you make that decision, you will end up walking in persistent sin. You will end up walking in some kind of pattern or behavior that the scriptures call sin. And here's what I observe in King Herod's story. And if you're honest with yourselves, here's what I think you observe in your own story. It's that persistent sin destroys peace. Herod is disturbed. And I think maybe for so many of us this year, there's been some kind of pattern, some kind of sin, maybe some kind of coping mechanism for all the stress that this year has brought out. But I need you to know that persistent pattern of sin, the addiction, the pattern, that thing that you've been hiding, that thing no one knows about, that thing that's going on in your life just under the surface, it destroys your peace. It robs you of peace. One of the reasons you might be struggling right now is because there is some pattern persistently throughout your life of sin that is robbing you and destroying the peace that Jesus came to offer you. So what does that mean for those of us who are struggling? What does that mean for the person who's just wiped out and weary from everything that's happened this year? Here's what I think it means. I think it means that struggling Christians should confess and repent of their lingering sin. You should confess it to God. You should tell God what happened. You should tell God because he already knows. But you should tell God because when you put something into words, you're actually able to overcome it. You're actually able to identify what it is. And then you repent of your lingering sin. Repent doesn't mean feel bad. It doesn't mean feel sad about it. It doesn't mean feel guilty and ashamed and to hate yourself. To repent is to turn. It is to change direction, to change your mind. And as a Christian, if you are walking in lingering sin right now, I need you to know that on the authority of the word of God, your sin will not cost you your salvation, but it will cost you your peace. It will cost you your joy. See, nothing can rob from you your salvation. Your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ, but your joy, your peace, your sense of purpose in this world, and your sense of God's presence can be impeded by the lingering sin in your life. And I wanna call someone boldly today to confess and to repent of the sin that's going on in your own life. It goes on this way. 
in the text in verse four. It says, when he had called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So here's King Herod, and and I want you to notice something that happens here in the text. King Herod hears about King Jesus. He hears about this one who is to be born King of the Jews. The people are beginning to gather and worship Jesus. And King Herod, you'll notice, has no idea what's going on. King Herod is unclear about what's happening, so he has to gather people together. And he has to say, can you tell me what's happening here? Because I don't understand who this person is or what relevance he has to the individuals who are gathering around to worship him. And what they do is they go on to explain, they go on to explain that actually if you had read the Old Testament, you would have known all about this. If you had read God's word, you would have expected that there was going to be this ruler, this king, this person who comes into the world to be the Messiah and the king of the Jews. But Herod doesn't know that. And you know why Herod doesn't know that? Herod doesn't know that because Herod hasn't read the Bible. Herod hasn't read the word of God. You see, Herod is confused about what God is doing because he has not really taken any time to study God's word. And the same exact thing is true for you. Like I need someone to hear me today when I say that you will never know God's will if you do not read God's word. You will not know what God is up to in this world. You will not know what God is up to in your family. You won't know what God's doing in your life and you won't understand what God is doing in your church if you will not read God's word. See, I think for so many of us this year became chaotic. And maybe early on, you were trying to read your Bible and really be close to God. But then this year just got exhausting. You're weary. You're wiped out. Your Bible has been pushed to the side. It's collecting dust. You don't really open it up anymore. You've not carved out time to be with Jesus. And your struggling faith right now is a reflection of that. Like, hear me, I I am not trying to guilt you. I am not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to identify that so oftentimes what happens is we don't feast on the word of God and our faith starves. Our faith starves because we're so busy taking in news and social media and the opinions of everyone in this world and we don't get our face in the word of God. And when our faces aren't in God's word, we will never understand God's will. Listen to the struggling Christian out there. Can I give you a very simple but important statement to live by and walk by. It's a struggling Christian should double down on Bible reading, double down on it. What does that mean? It means literally double it. Whatever you're doing right now, if it's a minute a day, make it two. If it's five minutes a day, make it 10. Make it that amount of time where you decide you're gonna read your Bible like never before. We're coming up on a new year here. And for so many people, there's this inclination every year of this is gonna be the year where I finally read my Bible. There's no reason to start in January 1st. Start today, start this weekend. Begin right now deciding you're gonna read the Bible. If you don't know where to go with the Bible, if you don't know what to read, you can go to calvarywestlake.org slash Bible. We have a bunch of Bible reading plans there. You have 30-day plans and 60-day plans and 90-day plans and year-long plans. So here's what I found. The people who read their Bible consistently, the people who end up double down on Bible reading, aren't the smartest people. They're not the people who know the Bible the best. They're not the people who have been in church the most. They're not the most special people. The people who end up reading their Bible consistently are the people who make a plan to read their Bible consistently. It's that simple. Uh, I've just known too many Christians who think I'll read the Bible every day and they just kind of do the lucky flip and hope they get to some text that they really like or really speaks to them. I've just never found that to sustain long-term Bible reading. The people who are going to double down on Bible reading, the people who are going to understand God's will because they know God's word, are going to be people who lay out a plan for the next 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Here's what I'm going to read. Here's when I'm going to do it. Here's where I'm going to read it. Here's how I'm going to be in God's word as we go forward. Struggling Christians, would you double down on Bible reading? It goes on this way. Um, In verse 7, it says um, that, that they've, They've pulled together, um, pardon me, uh, verse seven, sorry, <laughs> we're there. Okay, verse seven, the Herod called the Magi secretly and found from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. And when they had heard that, they went on their way and the star was seen when it rose above them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So the star is leading them and guiding them. And then ultimately the star stops over the place where the child is. And it says they are overjoyed. But I want to be clear about something here. They're not overjoyed because of the star. They're overjoyed because of what the star is leading them to. Like in other words, the star is just a sign. It's just a symbol. It's just a signpost toward the savior. And what they're excited about, the joy they experience here is not, they're not overjoyed because of the star. They're overjoyed because of the savior. Like you could actually imagine how strange the story would be if they just got overjoyed because of the star and they never actually went to the savior and they never actually went to Jesus. They never actually did what they were came to do, which was to be about Jesus, but they got overjoyed about the star. That would be silly because the star is just a sign and the sign is meant to point to the savior. But can I tell you what occurs to me in my own life? And the life of so many people I know, even sold out Christians who love Jesus, here's what I found to be true, especially during, Christian, during Christmas time. It's that we often spend too much time on the sign and not enough time on the savior. We spend too much time on the sign and not enough on the savior. What do I mean by that? Let me put it to you this way. So um, my family this year decided that the, the world needed some extra Christmas joy and cheer. And so we decided to decorate our house, not after Thanksgiving, and not even after November 1st, we decorated our house today, the exterior of our house this year, pardon me, on October 31st. We act on October 31st, on Halloween day, I spent the entire day decorating our house. Now, if you're judging me, I totally understand that, but let me tell you something. It is a holly jolly place at the Christmas, at the Howard house, and you are welcome to come by anytime and see it. It is a joyful place. But here's what I did. I started at 10 in the morning and I was up on a ladder and I was putting up lights and I was doing all of that. I worked from 10 in the morning to five in the evening, 10 in the morning to five in the evening, seven hours I spent decorating my house. And yet, as I look back on that experience, seven hours decorating my house, do you know what occurs to me? It occurs to me that as good as decorations are and as proud as I am of how our house looks and as wonderful it is to drive around our neighborhood and see so many decorations, here's what occurs to me. That for me, I spent seven hours preparing my house for Christmas. I have not spent seven hours preparing my heart for Christmas. Like I've spent seven hours preparing and decorating my house. And I have not spent that amount of time on my heart. What I did is I spent so much time on the sign that in some way I missed the savior. And what I want to invite you to is this. That, that if you're a struggling Christian right now, if you're just wrestling with faith and you don't feel like you're thriving in your faith right now, here's what I want you to do. Struggling Christians should think about how they're spending their time. They should think about how they're spending their time. Think about what they're investing their time in. Think about the ways they're using the time that is in front of them. Because here's a simple phrase that often gets overlooked in Christian faith, but it's true. And I wonder if for someone, this will just kind of be a wake-up call today. If you're struggling with your faith, I need to remind you that a healthy relationship with Jesus takes time. It takes time. Just like a healthy relationship with my wife takes time, right? There have to be times where we just like focus on each other and we go on a date night or we go on a great trip together. There's time spent one-on-one -on -one and then there's time throughout the day just texting each other, calling each other while I'm at work, making sure everything's good at home. It takes time to have a healthy relationship with your spouse, with your friend, with your kids. And the same is true for Jesus. A healthy relationship with Jesus takes time. And what I want to challenge you toward is this. Are you taking the time to focus on Jesus or have you got so caught up in the signs and the symbols of the Christmas season that you've actually missed Christ? That like so many Christians are so caught up in Christmas that we actually just miss Christ. Like I shared with you how much time I spent decorating my home and how little time in comparison I spent just preparing my heart for this season of Christmas. And maybe I could challenge you with a few questions that I know I've had to ask myself. Hey, here's the first question. Have you spent more time preparing your home than preparing your heart? I shared with you that that was true for me. Like I've had to think about, okay, how do I double down on being with Jesus? Because I've decorated, 
I've done all those things, but have I prepared my heart for this glorious reality that Jesus stepped into the world and brings hope, even in the midst of the darkest of circumstances? Here's the second question. Have you spent more time listening to songs about Christmas than songs about Jesus? I think even during Christmas time, it's so possible to listen to songs about having a holly jolly Christmas and decking the halls and how it's snowing outside, which it never is. And it's always strange. We think about all of the songs we listen to. Perhaps for you, you're struggling because you've been thinking so much about the season, so much about Christmas. that You're not actually thinking about Jesus. And then third and final, here's the question. Have you thought more about how you'll see your family than how you'll seek Jesus? And listen, that's not meant to sting, but it kind of stings for me. Because seeing family is a good thing. It's even a Christian thing. It's a thing that is part of following Jesus is to love our family. And yet what can happen for me, and perhaps it's happened for you, is there's so much time and energy and planning that happens and how we're going to get our family and how we're going to see them, especially this year, and how that's all going to work. But we don't put even a fraction of that much time into planning how we're going to read our Bible, how we're going to pray, how we're going to give in the coming year, how we're going to seek the Lord. Listen, these questions aren't meant to sting. They're not meant for you to just feel guilty and shamed. They're not meant for you to feel less than. They're meant for you to seriously consider how you are spending your time this Christmas season when it comes to following Jesus. Let me show you verse 11 here. Verse 11 says this. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. Um, Every year when I read the Christmas story, I'm reminded of a simple, profound truth. And that's that so often we think of Mary and we think of her being the mother of Jesus. And then we think about Jesus as an adult, but we kind of forget that that, that Jesus was actually born into a family. Jesus was born into a family. Jesus didn't just kind of show up on the world like Superman, just kind of like moving around. Jesus wasn't a lone ranger. Jesus was born into a family. And I hope what this can do for us this year is remind us of a simple but important truth that many of us forget all the time. And that's this, that following Jesus starts in your family. That following Jesus starts in your family. That that if you are incapable of loving your family well, if you don't have grace and peace and love and kindness and patience and goodness to your family, then you're missing the whole point. There are even scriptures that'll tell us if we can't act like Jesus toward our family, if we can't love the people around us, if we won't provide for our family, we're told in the scriptures, that we are worse than an unbeliever. Following Jesus begins in our family. And here's what I want to challenge us to. To remember Jesus was born into a family, but then to think carefully about family right now. Because listen, when I say following Jesus starts in your family, here's what I'm aware of. This has been a year for family like never before in some levels, right? Maybe you haven't seen the extended family this year, but maybe you've spent more time at home, more time on top of each other, more time working at home and kids, and everyone's trying to be on Zoom at the same time. You've been with family more than ever before. And if following Jesus starts in your family, then we need to talk about family for a moment here. Can I encourage you to think about the two errors that most people make with their family? Two errors, two mistakes that people make when they think about their family, especially during Christmas time. Here's the first one. It's that my family is my straitjacket. You think of a straitjacket that just kind of keeps you stuck. And so many people think their family is their straitjacket. I talk to young people who just think if I could just get away from my family, all my life would be great. They're the source of all my misery. I hate my family and they try to get away. I think of the older person who doesn't want to gather with their family, but they feel stuck because they can't not gather with their family. And so they think their family is really the source of all their problems. Family is my straitjacket. And if I could just get away from them, everything would be good. But here's the second error that some people make. The second error is that my family is my savior. See, if some people are just trying to get away from their family, some people say their family is their savior. And they don't say it that way, but they say it this way. My family's everything to me. My whole life is my family. I love my family more than anything. And listen, I don't want to be down on the sentiment that I love my family. I love my family. But I love my Jesus more than my family. My whole life isn't my family. My whole life is my God. Jesus is most important to me. Like we can actually get to the place where where your family becomes your savior. And if your family's good, then everything's good in this world. But if your family starts to fall apart, then everything's bad in this world. And here's the error we can make. The error we can make think is getting away from my family is what's gonna save me. Getting close to my family is what's gonna save me. And both of those errors will wreck your Christmas. It'll wreck your next year. Perhaps it's already wrecked this year. 
Perhaps one of the reasons you're so twisted up right now is because you see your family as your straitjacket that you got to get away from, or you see it as a savior that's going to really make everything right in this world. When the simple biblical truth about our families is these three things. Number one, my family's a gift. It's a gift. Even if the only gift your family gave you was bringing you into this world, even if that's the only thing, it's still a gift that you have life and breath in your lungs because God gave it to you through a family. My family is a gift. My family is in need of grace. Some of you need to write this down. My family needs grace because they're not perfect. They're not everything. They're not my entire existence. My family needs grace and I should offer it to them regularly. And then third and final, my family is not God. They're not my whole world. They're not everything to me. They're a gift. They need grace. But my God is the ultimate reality. He is the one who saves. He is the one I value above all things. And everything, including my family, falls under his sovereign plan for my life. Remember that your family is a gift. Your family needs grace and your family is not God. Here's how verse 11 continues. It says, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Like they come to Jesus. And what's the first thing they do? They worship I don't want to spend long on this other than to suggest to you and to plead with you and to urge you. If you are a struggling Christian, here's what you need to know. That struggling Christians should have worship songs on repeat right now. Every time you get into your car, turn off the radio, turn off the podcast, put on worship music. Recently, when I've been getting up in the morning with the kids, I turn on that song, The Blessing. You know, that's been just such an encouragement to all of us this year. I turn that song on and I just listen to it and I pray over my kids. I try to have worship music on because I need that for my heart right now. Struggling Christians should have worship music on repeat. It's not that secular music is bad and you should never listen to anything that's not a worship song. It's that if you're struggling right now, maybe the bright line you need to draw is that until the end of this year, I'm going to listen to nothing but worship music in the car, in my home, when I'm going on a run, it's worship music from here on in. And then here's how the text closes back half of verse 11. It says this, and they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, so here's what happens at, at the very end of the story we're looking at today. Um, they get before Jesus and they begin to worship him. And, and then they do something really important. They don't just offer him worship and praise and song. They offer him physical gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And you can obviously tell with gold, but it's true of frankincense and myrrh as well. These are valuable gifts. This means them giving something up that costs them, like it hurts some way to like give this up because this was giving Jesus something really valuable. Um, and yet here's why I think it's so important to actually land on this particular verse. They come to Jesus and they give him gold and frankincense and myrrh. Um, and, and that is the exact opposite uh, of what you would expect from an individual who has found themselves in crisis. Um, um, let, me, let me explain this way. I'm going to put it up on the screen this way. I want to submit to you this idea that self-absorption is our default setting in crisis. Like that's happened this year, right? Self-absorption. This whole year, you've been told, stay home, protect yourself, protect your family, make sure you have enough food, hunker down, stay away from people, make sure you have enough toilet paper, right? Like that's been the whole year. Self-absorption has been the message. Like just make sure to protect, make sure to hunker down. And listen, it's understandable that we get to this place. We do self-preservation and we get into crisis and we just go, how can I take care of myself and my family and the people I love? How can I set up walls around myself? And that is the default setting for human beings in crisis. And yet here's what I hope you've realized already. I hope you've realized that that default setting, that initial reaction you had to go into self-absorption and self-protection was not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not here to say that was the wrong reaction. I'm just here to say that at some point you have got to get yourself out of a footing of focusing on yourself and your problems and your life. And you've start, got to start to get out of that. And here's why. Because when you are self-absorbed, I need you to know that it's not everyone else who suffers the most in this world. I need you to understand that the person who suffers most from self-absorption is you. The person who suffers most when I am absorbed with myself and into myself and thinking about myself and obsessed with myself is me. When we are obsessed with ourselves, we suffer. We are the ones who suffer. 
And if right now you're feeling like you're struggling, you're suffering, you're not doing well, things aren't going well in your faith, you don't feel close to God and connected to him, I want to suggest to you that there might be something about this year that has put you into a footing where you're thinking about yourself, where you're concerned with yourself and your own needs and your own issues. And again, it's not bad to care about those things. I just think that if over nine months, all you've done is obsess and think about and been absorbed with the things around you and your family and your life and how to do this, the person who's gonna ultimately suffer is you. And here's what I've learned. I've learned that there is only one antidote to self-absorption, only one. And here's the antidote. Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And here's what I have to confess to you. For years, I spent reading this verse, the exact opposite of what Jesus said. I always thought what Jesus was saying is if you really love something, you'll give to it. If you really love your kids, you'll give to it. If you really love your church, you'll give to it. But that's not actually what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, when you give to something, then your heart follows the gift. When you invest in something with your treasure, your heart follows after it. And here's why you know that's true already. Like if I told you that a certain stock that you didn't own at all went up 50% today, you would go, okay, that's interesting, and you would move along. But if you own that stock and you had just purchased it last week and the stock went up 50%, your heart would soar. Why? Because it has your treasure. Your treasure's invested there. If I was walking through the church lobby and I said, hey, just so you know, uh, out in the parking lot, there was a tree and one of the branches fell off and shattered the windshield of a car. You'd say, oh, that's a bummer. Maybe we can help someone out here. But if I told you, no, 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 it's your car. Suddenly your heart would be moved in a negative way. Why? Because it's your treasure. Wherever your treasure is, wherever your finances are, wherever your treasure is, your heart, it's gonna follow after. It's gonna be there also. So what does that mean for us who are struggling right now? What does that mean for those of us who are Christians and just feeling distant from God and struggling with our faith and struggling with how to move forward in the midst of all of this? Can I give you one final thing that some of you might not wanna hear? but I believe it's exactly what some of you need to hear. It's the struggling Christians should make the decision to give generously. Like hear me, struggling Christians should make the decision that they're gonna give. Notice I didn't say struggling Christians should feel like giving or feel generous. No, 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 it's that we just decide we're going to do this. And I know that for so many of you, that sounds so out of left field. Like what does my giving have to do with how close I feel to God? And the answer is Jesus knows. This is like if you hired a personal trainer and they told you how to do something and you went, mm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about that. It's like, that's the expert. And you're supposed to listen to the expert and the expert here is Jesus. And Jesus is the one who said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will follow after. Child of God who's struggling right now, who feels distant from God, who feels weary and worn out from the year. Can I encourage you to end this year by giving generously? Giving generously so that your heart will follow after that because wherever your treasure is, this is Jesus Christ's words, your heart will be also. But as we head toward that, as you think about giving, even toward the end of this year, even for your own heart, whether it's a little bit or a lot of bit or whatever that is, you just decide to give generously, whatever that means to you. Can I remind you that that's not to earn your salvation. It doesn't earn you any salvation. It doesn't earn God's blessing. It doesn't earn God's favor. It doesn't earn anything for you. In fact, the wonderful, beautiful thing about the kingdom of heaven and following Jesus is that when we give and we sacrifice and we lay down, we get back far more than we ever gave. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's hidden in a field and the man finds it and he hides it again. And in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and he buys the field. What's the story about? The kingdom of heaven, knowing Jesus, is you saying, I'm willing to give up anything because what I get in return is far more. And hear me clearly, it's not that you get more finances in return. It's that you lay down your life and you get Jesus in return. That's what you get. That's the treasure in the field. That's the treasure we'd be willing to lay our entire lives down for. That we would say, I want to hold on to nothing so that my hands can be open to receive all that Jesus has for me. Child of God, I believe there's hope for you.
struggling Christian, I believe it doesn't always have to be this way. Child of God who has been weary and worn out by this world this year, who has been beaten up and who feels far from God, I wanna declare this over you today that there is hope for the struggling Christian and his name is Jesus. There is hope for the struggling Christian and his name is Jesus. He is for you, he is with you. He laid down his life on the cross so that you could have a relationship with God forever. And wherever you're struggling, whatever you're walking through, if you would lay down your life, you would find a treasure greater than anything you could possibly have. And that treasure is Jesus himself. And we know this is true because this is the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is the story of Jesus laying down his glory, laying down his rights, laying down the wonders and the comfort of heaven to step into this world to save humanity. As we close today, I want to invite you to hear this song, to let it minister to your heart today, whether you are struggling or whether you just need a boost as we head into the next few weeks, the final few weeks of this year. May it encourage your heart. May it bless you as you consider the king who stepped out of heaven to rescue us. Unexpected, would you believe to all we've projected? A child in a manger, lonely and small, the weakest of all, unlikeliest hero, wrapped in his mother's shawl, just a child. Is this who we waited for? Is how many kings? Down from their thrones How many lords have abandoned their homes How many greats have become the least for me And how many gods have poured out their hearts To romance a world that was torn apart How many fathers gave up their sons for me our gifts to the newborn Savior home that we have, whether costly or meek, because we believe, both for his honor, frankincense for his pleasure, and myrrh for the cross he will suffer, do you believe this who we waited for?
struggling Christian, to all of us, may that remind you of what God did for you in the person of Jesus Christ stepping into this world. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this truth. Thank you for this reality that you would do this for us, that you would send Christ into this world, into a family to live and die and raise from the dead for our salvation. God, I praise you and I thank you for the story of Jesus. I praise you and I thank you for the story of hope. May that hope be inside each of us, even those of us who are struggling right now. May we know your hope and your joy this Christmas season above all things. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.